we love them and appreciate them. And, Amen. And, uh, anyway, thank you again. Thank you for everything. I couldn't thank you enough. Let's turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. John chapter 12. It's where, we'll be, where we will begin. Have y'all had any, have you all had any trouble understanding me this week at all? Okay, good. I notice about the only difference is you say uh, out and we say out. It's not much difference, is it? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I, I try, I, I said this Thursday night, or no, Sunday, Sunday, you know, f from the, the part of the state, the part of the south where I'm from is a little different. Um, people have the Appalachian dialect of uh, southern, southern English uh -huh. and uh, around Birmingham. Matt, he has the Appalachian dialect. And then there's a South Alabama drawl. And uh, most everyone in Georgia has the South Alabama drawl, the, the southern drawl. Mm -hmm. But uh, I hope that I don't have, do I have the southern drawl? Sir? Oh, okay. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Nova Scotia. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I'm, hope we, I'm glad we haven't had a language barrier. Amen. <laughs> These people ever call you on the phone, you know, want to talk to you about a warranty? Yeah. <laughs> and you know they're in India. Right. Or the, this lady one day was talking to me about a, about a router. You know what a router is. She was talking to me about a router, trying to get it working, and I heard a rooster crowing in the background. And I said, ma'am, where are you? She said, I'm in the Philippines. I said, well, I got to hear your rooster crowing in the background. She said, I am so sorry, sir. <laughs> so sorry, so sorry, sir. So, <laughs> so uh, she, uh, she said, let me close the window. She closed the window. <laughs> you don't ever know who's doing what, amen? And uh, anyhow, it's like me, you know, people call, is this, is this missions to America's juvenile delinquents? I say, yes, sir, it's a home office. That means I'm sitting in my recliner with my computer. <laughs> but anyway, but thank you so much. It's been a blessing to be here, and everything's just been wonderful. And thank you so much. And I'm sorry, man. I, you know, I might could uh, get in touch with the guy in uh, Iowa and see if we could change the date of our meeting. I, well, I'd love to come to youth camp. Brother Brandon asked me if I might could make youth camp, but I have a revival meeting in Iowa. And so I'll tell you, since I've been retired from being a pastor, the Lord's opened many doors, and I'm thankful for that. Amen. And uh, I don't, goodness, I'm the least, I'm the least of God's servants. But I'm thankful for any opportunity that he gives Amen. us. Amen. Well, I would appreciate your prayers. Amen. And uh, for my son, we're in the transition. Where we've already transitioned. He's the pastor of our church. He's been my associate for 25 years. Yeah. He's waited patiently. Yeah. And it was time for him. It was just his time. And uh, so I, I want to bear fruit in my old age. It says they shall, be, they shall bear fruit in their old age and be fat and flourishing. I don't, I don't want to be just fat and flourishing. I do want the fruit that goes with it. Amen. I want to bear fruit in my old age. All right. Brother Jones says, by the time you get enough sense to do the work of God, you're too old to do it. And I think that's about right. Amen. John chapter 12. Are, there? Are you all? Y'all? I'm sorry. You knew what I meant, didn't you? Are y'all there with me? All right, well, let's begin reading, let's see, I would say we'll begin reading at about uh, verse 32, and, it, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me, this he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered them, <coughs> or answered him, we have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever, and how sayest the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. 
Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed. And notice this last phrase, and did hide himself from them. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is a turning point in the Gospel of John. Everything the Lord has done up to verse 36, we call his public ministry. And beyond this, our Lord no longer speaks to, to the Pharisees. He no longer speaks publicly except in his responses to Pilate and uh, all the responses that he makes through his trial and, of course, the seven sayings from the cross. But there's, it's the end of his public ministry, and now he enters his private ministry. And everything that happens from chapter 13 onward through chapter 17 is the Lord's private ministry. And uh, would you agree, if you know anything about the Gospel of John, that some of the most wonderful truths in all of the Bible are contained beginning in chapter 13 all the way through chapter 17. Uh, the great message on the vine and the branches was preached to just the 11. Judas was gone at that point. Uh, think about that. The, the father's house and all that he said in John 14, the the revealing of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter who was to come. And of course, the great intercessory prayer that he prayed in John chapter 17. All of that was spoken in the ears of 11 men. Only 11. Uh, you ever thought about this? The Bible says that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Just one man. And the Lord, of course, you know the discourse. You must be born again. And he goes on, the great passage we all can quote, it's a very salient verse of scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his yeah. only begotten son, yeah. that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Yeah. Those verses of scripture and all of those truths the Lord revealed there in John chapter 3 was preached to one man, right. one man. Some of the greatest truths of the Bible were preached to very small groups of people. And so it's only the Lord and his disciples in John chapter 13. Now let's begin reading, if you would, in chapter 13 from this turning point in the gospel of John. The first thing the Lord begins here is uh, in chapter 13. We'll read it. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash his disciples, wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my feet, or my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, or saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and you're clean, but not all. And of course, he's speaking of Judas at that point. This very familiar story that our Lord, uh, that he recorded here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit concerning himself, is one of the greatest lessons in humility the world has ever known. 
And in this setting, you find the Lord Jesus washing the disciples' feet. He gives them a deep lesson on humility. And he takes the lowly place before them. And all of you know this, the practice of foot washing was originally an act of hospitality in Jewish homes, Middle Eastern homes, performed for guests. Even to this day, uh, when you go into a Middle Eastern home, you take your shoes off. And of course, during those times, they wore sandals, they walked on dusty roads, and either a servant or the wife of the home would wash the guests, they wash their feet. Uh, Many of you are familiar, I'm sure, with the the passage in 1 Timothy 5.10, when it deals with the qualifications of widow indeed, it says, well reported of, of good works, if she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, and it said if she have washed the saints' feet. Right. And just something they did in those, in those days uh, for people who came into their homes. And uh, in verse 5, the Lord begins to wash the disciples' feet after supper had ended. It says, after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Now, before we get into the actual thing the Lord did here, it must be noted what prefaces the foot washing of his followers. If you will, look back in verse 3. The Bible says, Jesus knowing. Look at verse 1. The Bible says Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world under the Father. Verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. That is what the Lord prefaces the foot washing with these verses of Scripture. Now there's some great truths in these Scriptures. First of all, the Bible tells us In verse 3, Jesus knowing. Now, the knowledge of God, what is it called? What do we call that in in theology? What is the theological term for the knowledge of God? What do we call that? We call it omniscience. Jesus knowing. And I submit to you tonight, my friend, that Jesus, as a man and as God, he knew everything. But notice here it says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand. What did he know? He knew that all things were given into his hand. Now remember the message that I preached here the other night on the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. You remember that? You see, our Lord as a man lived in perfect obedience to God his Father. And as I noted the other night in the message, our Lord placed himself voluntarily in a subordinate position as a son to a father, as a servant to a master for the purpose of redemption. I pointed out the other night how our Lord drew near to us in our own nature. Man cannot be redeemed by celestial beings. Man can only be redeemed in the same nature in which he fell. It takes a man to redeem men. And so our Lord became a man and came into the world. And living his obedient life, listen, he never sinned, he couldn't sin, he didn't sin. Our Lord, my friend, when he said, the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, that means there, were, there was no lust in our Lord for Satan to appeal to. Amen. Amen. He said this, I do always those things that please him. Our Lord's obedient life unto his Father and his obedience to the law of God without fail is called his righteousness. Amen. Amen. And I tell you, it's just as essential in his salvation as the blood. It takes it all, my friend. He lived the life that we could not live. And listen, because of his obedience, because of his obedience, my friend, God the Father was indebted to him. He earned an inheritance. 
what does what, what does Psalm 2 say? Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. Right. Right. Amen. Yep. Notice this. The Lord is speaking here as a man. It says that the Father had given all things into his hands. Listen. In Matthew 28, verse 18, the Bible says, this is what Jesus said. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Well, he already had all power as God. He's speaking as a man. God has given him all power in heaven and in earth as a man. He already possessed that as deity. But it was given to him for his obedience. Amen. He said this, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. All judgment is given into his hand. Why, judgment was already his prerogative as God, but yet it's given to delegated to him as a man, an obedient servant. Are you with me tonight? You follow what I'm saying? He said this, it, the Bible says in Ephesians 1.20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him in his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all, the head over all things to the church. My friend, listen. Our Lord was appointed head over all things as a man. These things were earned by an obedient son and an obedient servant. It was given to him. He said this in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. It's talking about our Lord when he comes back and takes possession of the earth, which he bought with his life and his blood. He already owned it as God, but he bought it with his blood and with his life. And he's coming back to take possession of it. And the Bible says of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with justice and justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I'm telling you tonight the eternal governance of man forever is given to him. He will reign from David's throne because he's the son of David forever. That's what it says. You say, what does it mean? Exactly what it says. Amen. He's given that as a man. John 17, 2, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Listen, our Lord Jesus already had power to give life as God, but he's given the power to give eternal life as a man. So wouldn't you agree, my friend, that he's uh, earned and gained a fairly good inheritance? Amen. Amen. Here's another one. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus. Now many times you find the Lord just referred to with his common human name, Jesus, which means for he shall save his people from their sins. But sometimes, my friend, you find a title attached to it. Christ Jesus. That's his name with a title. Sometimes you find his name with title and a position, Christ Jesus the Lord. You find it many times, you find it different ways, different forms in the Bible. Here in this passage, it says, here's what it says, that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. God made a man Lord in Christ. He earned it. 
Amen. That's what it says. Listen to this passage. Hebrews 1.8, But under the sun, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. That's the Lord and his deity. But listen to this. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Wouldn't you agree the Lord is better than all of his fellows? He's the best man that ever lived. You ever thought about that? The world has only known one perfect man and they wanted to kill him. Where's that leave me and you? He is above all fellows, above all fellow men. Would you agree the Lord's above all of his fellows? There are so many honors that are bestowed upon our Lord Jesus as an obedient son and servant. I cannot... You could preach on each one of them as a specific subject. But I want you to get a glimpse tonight of his position. This man is so valuable in his majesty, his dignity, his value, and his worth that he is the only way that any man can be saved and enter glory. It is, it is at his name that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. There is none above him. None above him. Think about it. I mean, I didn't touch the hem of the garments, the things that's been given to him from God because of his obedience and because of who he is. Amen. And so, the Lord knowing this, Notice what he does in chapter 13, verse 4. John 13, 4. By the way, he knew that he came from God. He knew he was, he came from God. And he knew he was going, he, he, and he went to God. He knew he was going back. Amen. And he did go back. But notice here, what does he do? Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God. That's his exalt. That touches upon the exalted position that he possesses as a man that was given to him, that he earned. It's inheritance. By the way, we're joint heirs with him. Everything he gets, we get. Verse 4, notice what he does. He riseth from supper. He riseth from supper. Count them. He riseth from supper. Count them. One. And laid aside his garment. Two. And took a towel. Three. Girded himself. Four. Poureth water into a basin. And began to wash the disciples' feet. Six, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Seven. Seven things is noted by the Holy Spirit. Isn't it amazing here? Are y'all listening to me? Isn't it amazing that the Holy Ghost, when he inspired the Gospel of John, that he notices and notes every move that he makes? Which direction is that? Let me ask you this. You remember the other night when we touched on Philippians chapter 2? There's also seven great steps down there. Remember that? We counted them. What is seven in the Bible? Perfection. Perfect humility found in the Son of God, Son of Man. Amen? Seven things the Holy Spirit records as though he is fixated on every move. He was the highest. He was the highest. But he took the lowest place voluntarily. Amen. Now, do you think the disciples would have washed each other's feet? I don't think so. 
It indicates in verse 14. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought, you ought also to wash one another's feet. You know what the Lord's implied? He said, you should have done this. Right. But they didn't do it. Yeah. In fact, I'll get this in a minute, there's an order in how the Lord carries this out. Now, we aren't told who the first disciples were as the Lord moved from one to one washing their feet. But the Holy Spirit notes that Peter wasn't first as some believed. Look at verse 6. Or verse 5. He began to wash the disciples' feet. Verse 6. Then cometh he to Simon Peter. He's not first in the order. The other disciples are. Amen. Now I wonder why it's only Simon Peter who is pointed out by the Holy Ghost and none of the other disciples when the Lord washes their feet. There's nothing recorded about it except Simon. Why does he focus on Simon Peter? I'm sure there's a reason for it. I'll give you my opinion. Simon was was pretty much the leader of the apostles. Would you agree? And Simon was a boisterous one, was he not? I mean, I'm not going to preach on Simon and everything he said and did. But everyone knows what I take for granted. You know that Simon Peter was the boisterous one. He's the only one that walked on the water. I'm sure he's told them, boys, i tell you one thing. I got you on the water walking. These Pentecostals, you know, they used to be on the radio before me and after me, and their messages always consisted of whatever I preached on refuting it the last week. And so one day I had a, I had a prove your gift day. Yeah. I said, we're having a prove your gift day. Good. If you've got all these gifts you claim to have, we'll meet you down at, uh, at the uh, Gadsden Docks on the Coosa River, and hey, just give me ten foot on the water. Ten, walk ten feet. And because you do greater works than Jesus did. That's what they say. Well, give me ten steps, man. That's all I want. He walked across the sea till he got in the boat. I'll take ten steps. And I said, when we get done, we'll go right up to the hospital, the holy name of Jesus, the Catholic hospital. And I said, we'll go up there, we'll go to the cancer ward. And you can do like the apostles, you can lay hands on them and heal them from their diseases. It's a prove your gift day because I'm an unbeliever and your signs are for unbelievers and I do not believe you. So I want you to convince me with your signs. Of course they couldn't, they, they didn't take me up on it. Now, it's, there's a great lesson here that Simon needed to learn from this experience. It's like the Lord saying, now, Peter, it's your turn. Now, most people don't know this. Uh, it's, it's inserted in another gospel. What is not supplied in one is given in another. Previously to this event, there was a strife among them concerning which one would be the greatest. And there had actually been a request from the mother of James and John to sit on his, that her two sons could yeah. sit on his right hand and his left. Right? Yeah. And so, Matthew 20, 20 tells us about that. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And she, he said, this is James and John. And he said unto her, what wilt thou? She saith unto him, grant that these might these my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. So there was the request for the throne. Listen to this in Luke twenty two twenty four, Preceding this, here's what it says. And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doeth serve. There was a strife among them. 
of who would be the greatest. There was the boisterous Simon Peter. There was James and John, their mother, asking the Lord, let my two sons sit on your right hand and your left. That preceded what the Lord did here to them. Their foot washing. What is he doing? He's giving them an example of humility. And it's pride that's driving these other ambitions. And God means to kill their, the Lord means to kill their pride. He's going to kill it. They're interested in the throne of the sovereign, but he's going to show them the towel of service. I'll tell you, there's a lot of people today looking for a throne, but there's not a lot of people looking for a towel. Amen, brother. And there's one thing I cannot stand. I cannot stand an arrogant preacher. This is what I say to the arrogant preachers. Shut up. Amen. Amen. Do they know I'm here? Don't listen. Don't quit striving to be relevant. Just be yourself. What is it? What is it about people and especially sometimes preachers? They want you. I I called Brother Jones the other day. Of course, that was about five years ago. When you get older, the other day is four or five years ago. (laughs) I said, Brother Jones, I want to ask you a Bible question. He said, a Bible question? He said, you know how many people call me for Bible questions? I said, no, how many? He said, it don't even qualify a semi-annual. He said, people don't call me with Bible questions. He said, most preachers that call me want to talk about their self. How about about that? And my wife, she don't like me to tell the story, and I'll be careful telling it. She says, y'all don't tell that. She said, it makes you look bad. But I'm, this guy, he comes running up to me, and he just talking about himself. And I looked at him right in the eyes, just like Taylor, I looked at him just like this right here, son, just like you right there. And I said, I don't care. It almost took his breath. I'm serious. (laughs) Then you know what I said? My heart smote me. See, now I'm going to look good, Rose. I said, I am so sorry. I said, that was so rude of me. I should not have spoken to you in that manner. I'm sorry. Forgive me. He said, I don't worry. But down in my heart, I was still saying, I don't care. (laughs) But I shouldn't have been so rude about it. Amen. Listen, young man. Let God exalt you. Amen. A lot of them are like Elihu. You know, Elihu, he's, 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 uh, he shows up and he says, you know, great men are not always wise. He said, I said ancients should speak, but he said, I'm going to show you my opinion. He said, I will speak that I may be refreshed. Come on, man. Get over yourself. Elihu loved to hear himself preach. And he spends five or six chapters saying, hearken to me, listen to me, hearken unto me, you wise men. And he never says nothing. And a little while God shows up and says, who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? And passed over Elihu in silence 
and spoke to Job and his three friends and didn't say nothing to him. Not even God could tell him anything. He knew it all. What you see in Elihu is the arrogance of youth. That young man, that young man that thinks he knows everything. I'll tell you what you need a lesson in, friend. You need a lesson in humility. We had a young man in a prison one time. He got up there. A prison meeting, a bunch of, we were in a prison where everyone that's convicted of a sex crime is in this prison. He's up there preaching to a bunch of sex perverts. Committed crimes like that. Yeah. And he gets up there looking at these guys and he says, well, I guess you all looked me over and said, I wonder if he can preach. He's just a young man. He said, well, we'll see. Wow. And he commenced to he did everything but turn flips in the wow. pulpit. He walked on the communion table huh. in the prison chapel. Yeah. The pulpit was adjustable, brother, like this one, brother Brandon. He broke the pulpit beating on it. Yeah. And when he got done, the chaplain got up and rebuked us and said, we raised the money for this right. Pulpit furniture. Sure. We had to raise the money for this, and I don't appreciate you abusing it. Right. Right. And buddy, when we got him outside, <laughs> he didn't ever have to worry about coming to another prison meeting. Yes. Are y'all listening to me? Right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Man, we're not in this thing to promote ourselves. Amen. It's not about me. It's not about you. John said he must increase. Well, I must decrease. Quit striving to be something. I'll tell you who God uses. God uses nobodies. If I pour this water out, listen, if it, if it rains five inches, where does all the water gather? Where does it gather? The lowest place. You know where God's blessings are, friend? They're in the lowest place. And so here they are, here they are with these kind of dispositions and attitudes. And the Lord bows down before Simon. Peter was confronted with the Lord's deep humility. Here, can you imagine this? Here's the proud, boisterous Peter. And the Lord comes and bows before him with a pan of water and a towel, a basin and a towel. The Lord comes to him and bows down right there before Simon Peter like this with that pan and that towel and he says he looks up at Peter boy Simon Peter you know he's under conviction he says thou shalt never wash my feet well I tell you when you're confronted with the Lord's humility you look at yourself right He didn't strive. He didn't cry or lift up his voice in the street. That's just like the scripture said. He made himself of no reputation. When he healed someone, he said, See thou tell no man. I don't know about you tonight, my friend, but I am convicted. By my Lord's deep humility that he would bow in the lowest place and wash his disciples' feet while they're arguing on who would be the greatest.
You know, the Lord told him, he said, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship. And so on. He said, if not, it, will, it shall not be so among you. But he said, the greatest among you will be what? Servant. Servant. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to be serve? Are you willing to serve without anyone knowing it but God? When's the last time you did something for someone and you knew that nothing would come back to you in return? Brother Brandon, let me tell you when God began to bless our little church. When we started trying to minister to people who could not give anything. So many preachers today, they want to, they, listen, they're looking for someone who will be their benefactor. Listen tonight, my friend. We're, we are servants. We're not lords. We're servants of the church. Listen, my wife and I have spent 48 years of our lives. I have as a pastor. and She's a pastor wife. She's been a good pastor's wife. She still is. We have loved people. Served them. Served them. We've served them. We've spent our life serving people. And many times spending our money. Right. Yep. Strive to be a servant. They would learn that. Though he was Lord of all, he was a servant God. He has taken a place of a servant in their midst. Listen, children. You listening to me? Don't strive to be great. You remember what the Lord said to Barak, Jeremiah, scribe? The nations falling around, falling apart around them. Remember what you y'all remember that? Have you read that? Doest thou great things for thyself? Amen. The laying aside of his garments. Let me speak on this a minute and I'll be done. Is indicative of all that he left in heaven as he humbled himself in the incarnation, laying aside of his garments. It's a picture of what he left in heaven. The glory of heaven, the praise of heaven. You have a great type of it in the Old Testament. Uh, quickly, I'll me- let me just hit on this and I'll move on and make the point. It says, And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me the priest's office. And he goes on and says in verse 2, And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory and for beauty. Now for the sake of time, if you read Leviticus chapter 16 very carefully, especially verse 4, verse, and then go down to verse 24 and read all that, Here's what you're going to find out. On the great, the, the garments of glory and beauty made for the priest on the great day of atonement were laid aside. And he put on a plain linen garment with a bonnet that said holiness unto the Lord. Of course, he had to bathe his flesh in water, lay those garments aside, and put, on the, put off the garments of glory and beauty and put on a plain linen ephod, a plain yeah. priestly robe yeah. to go into the holy of holy. You know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of the Lord laying aside yeah. his glory in heaven. Right. Coming down here to be a servant. Yeah. Let me tell you something. If the Lord was here tonight, he would serve us. Right. And the sad thing about it is most of us would let him. Sure. He would serve us. Right. His great humility. 
just as the high priest laid aside his beautiful garments and he wore only linen garments into the presence of God, so Christ left the glory of heaven. He came to earth, laid aside his heavenly majesty, not his divine nature, and clothed himself with human nature. And as he took upon the likeness of men, sin accepted, the Bible says this. Listen to me carefully. He clothed himself with sackcloth. I'll give you the reference in a minute. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Are y'all listening to me? I'll tell you through the years, I, I mentioned the other night, I've heard preachers through the years, wonderful men of God, Thank God I had the privilege to hear them. But I tell you, there's one thing that has marked every man of God, every eminent man of God that I've ever known. There's one thing that marks his life above all others, and that's humility. Amen. There is no Christian virtue as attractive humility and the arrogance of some of our people is embarrassing we've we have mistaken arrogance for boldness It's easy to chew everybody in here out. Right. That's easy. Right. Until somebody calls your hand on it. Right. And they will sooner or later. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Look here with me quickly. Got it? First Peter five five. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be what? What does that say, young person? Listen, every, you, ought to, you ought to underline that. Be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due, due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Now, all of you know this. What is imputed righteousness? What is imputed righteousness symbolized? It's presented to us in the Bible under the symbol or the emblem of a garment. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's a white garment, right? Revelation 19, 8. To her was granted she should have been in fine linen, white and clean. For the yeah. fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Yeah. So, imputed righteousness is presented to us under the emblem of a garment. It's called, Isaiah says, He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation with a robe of righteousness. You know the story. But the clothing of humility is not symbolized by a fine white linen garment, but by sackcloth. Y'all remember what those Jewish people did when they had a, a time of repentance? They clothed themselves with sackcloth. Sackcloth is a rough, made cotton garment or a garment made of, out of hemp. It's a rough garment. And they put ashes on their head. You understand, all the ashes collected from the sacrificial altar was put in a place. And people took the ashes of the sacrifice and put on their head and clothed themselves with sackcloth, which was a picture of an absence of righteousness and an appeal to a sacrifice. That's what they did. Sackcloth. Turn to Psalm 69. And I'll make an application here, and then we'll close. Psalm 69. And David says here in verse 1, Save me, O God, for the waters are coming to my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am coming to deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary of my crying, and so on. Look at verse 4. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. 
They that would destroy me, mine enemies wrongfully are mighty, then I restored that which I took not away, and so on. You go through here, and if you'll notice carefully, there are key passages in the scripture that would assign it to Christ. It's what we would call a messianic psalm. Look at verse 8. I am become a stranger unto my brethren, and an alien unto my mother's children. That's quoted in the New Testament concerning Christ. See that? Look at this. For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. That's quoted in the New Testament. And the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. This is a messianic psalm that has references to Christ. Now look at verse 11. What's that verse? What's that verse say? I made sackcloth also my garment, and I became a proverb to them. The Lord clothed himself with sackcloth when he came into this world. What is that a picture of? Humility. You know why he clothed himself with sackcloth? So that we could be clothed with the fine linen, which righteousness. Clothed with sackcloth. What are you clothed with tonight? What's your clothing? Are you clothed with humility? Can anyone tell you anything? Can you stoop low enough to receive instruction? Amen. We must clothe ourselves with humility before we take the towel of service. That's why the Lord comes to Simon Peter. Not first but after others to deal with his proud, boisterous spirit. Now it is his turn. And when I am confronted with the deep humility of the Lord Jesus Christ, I would say it like this. Then he cometh to you and I. How am I going to respond to his humility? The most attractive Christian virtue, humility. Would you let him wash your feet tonight? Would you let him? If he were here, would you let him wash your feet? Let's bow our heads.